0: My name is uh, Austin Williams, I'm the director of the Future Cities Project, and this is a kind of an energy debate, face masks are not obligatory in this environment, uh, but you know. So I think it's a quite timely discussion, to be honest with you, Um, there's a lot being kind of written about, a lot being said about it, but there's not much of a discussion about it, or an open public forum uh, around it, I don't think. So lots of column written about, you know, boilers, gas boilers, heat pumps, you know, the need to reduce fossil fuels, green energy, all that kind of conversation is kind of very much up there. Uh, And a lot of policy is being passed down the chain more broadly than just the energy debate, obviously, as you've seen over the last couple of days, but it doesn't have uh, much opportunity for us to reflect on it. Extinction Rebellion, if if you remember them, uh, they used to argue that uh, we only need to mobilise, or they need only to mobilise 3% of the population to enact change, meaningful change. George Monbiot, about a week ago in The Guardian, Suggested that we need to convince 25% of the population of the need to change. That's a bit better, obviously, but it's not the same as convincing the majority of us why we need to do whatever we need to do. So, you know, is this kind of um, reliance on uh, a small number of people pushing this policy forward uh, because they're not going to be well received, that people aren't going to like it because it's going to be financially painful? Uh, on the other hand, you know, if climate change is a problem, then maybe no solution is going to be painless. Since it's getting very cold out there, e- where even insulate Britain aren't committed enough to glue their heads to the tarmac, uh, it kind of, it's a, a very kind of important time to try to assess whether in, indeed this is a fundamentally necessary move by government and whether we should be buying into it rather than rejecting it. In the middle of winter, is this the worst time to inflate energy costs? Or is it the best time? If bills cost a fortune... Maybe it'll nudge us into using less of it, putting on a jumper, but we've been told to rip out our boilers and there doesn't seem to be any, you know, options or any alternatives available to us. So is the industry ready? Are you ready? Um, And I suppose we just want to take a look today at the kind of different opinions, shades of opinion, not some kind of unnecessary kind of polarized conversation, but a much more um, nuanced conversation about what's going on, what the costs are. What the problems that we are that are trying to address and what are the consequences so we've got a very good panel of uh, industry insiders and experts to help us uh, navigate through this uh, minefield and I've asked them to speak for five six seven minutes uh, just to kind of set out their stall uh, and then we'll have a little bit of a discussion and then we'll come out as I say to the audience for any kind of points and comments so let me introduce the panelists first up we have uh, this is the order in which they'll speak first we have uh, Rico Vouloich uh, he's a senior policy advisor for the House Builders Association, which is a division of the National Federation of Builders, which represents the interests of construction SMEs. Across all of sectors in the UK, SMEs are about 99%, well, yeah, a huge percent of the UK business uh, fraternity, and 20% of those are in the construction sector. Uh, Rico sits on a variety of construction industry boards and working groups, uh, and he's a very vocal uh, critic of planning policy, how bureaucracy hinders rather than helps the provision of decent homes. Uh, so we can get onto that in the course of the conversation. Then we have Rick Moore. Rick is an electrical engineer from Blackburn. His company in control, that he founded, provides assistive technology, m and and the full range of intelligent control services for your home, it says here. Um, he's got lots of gizmos and remote controls that you can operate from your sofa, which is my kind of energy-saving company. Jeff Wilkinson is the Managing Director of the award-winning uh, Wilkinson Construction Consultants. He's also a correspondent on billing control matters and much more widely on uh, construction industry issues for the Architects Journal. He's a renowned billing inspector with over 35 years of experience in the construction industry, and he served on uh, many UK construction standards and regulation working groups. And then finally... And last but not least, we have Casper uh, Hewitt, who I see has joined us. Thank you very much, Caspar. Uh, he's a lecturer in hydraulics and the programme director of the uh, EuroAQUI programme at the School of Engineering at Newcastle University. He is also the founding member, wait for it, of the steering committee of the Northeast of England, United Nations Regional Centre of Expertise in Education for Sustainable Development. Another one of those snappy EU uh, quangos, maybe, but maybe not. Casper, you can can enlighten us about the S-C-N-E-U-N-R-C-E-E-S-D. Remember that. uh, You hear it here first. Okay, guys, let me um, ask you each to present uh, in turn. So if I can come to you first, Rico, set out your store.
1: Thanks very much, Austin. So I'm the Head of Housing and Planning Policy at the NFB. and the HBA, which is National Federation of Builders, Houseman Association, and... My job is to represent SME house builders, regional contractors and constructors. And uh, a lot of my role is either supporting them in business or lobbying for policy change. And I like to take a quite pragmatic, deliverable approach to how we do that, um, particularly as SMEs train seven and 10 construction apprentices. So I'm going to set this warm Christmases in three different parts because the government silver bullet approach is going to take some time to achieve. So looking at what the challenge is, 15 million. 54% of British homes are built before we even had like a minimum U value which is the transfer of heat through a structure and 20 million homes 71% of them are below that the more stringent U values that were introduced in in 1990 so right from the outset the challenge to insulate British homes is quite complex and that's before we take in uh, you know the the requirement to make sure that air quality is good, that moisture isn't an issue, that dampness isn't a concern and This is an older home issue because the new homes, the regulations can change and the structure can change. But in terms of energy efficiency, the new homes that we build nowadays lose a 10th of the heat of those in 1970 and before. So the obsession from government to always go for new build is a little bit misplaced in my opinion because new build can help older solutions and new build has issues, but really we're not innovating enough on the older homes. Uh, and the second, I think, issue that we're facing is decarbonisation. And I think that what we're trying to do, as they say, is stop burning stuff and move to electricity for heating and cooking. But how we do that is really complicated. And currently, the government seems to think that the silver bullet is heat pumps. Now, I, I do support heat pumps, I think they're great, but there are concerns. So if we look at the costs, start with insulation. If you want a light touch, uh, you know, retrofit a home or, you know, reduce air escape, because we don't really talk about that. Um, could pay a few thousand pounds you know i'm removing the windows from this because the windows are expensive uh but you know 200 pounds for loft insulation three to 600 pounds for insulating floors fill some gaps general maintenance like repointing and replacing your door gaskets to 600 pounds so you're looking at a few thousand pounds if you're going to deep retro, retrofit every home we're going to spend a couple of trillion on that depending on how we do it so you're going to look you're looking between the average home 30 to eighty five thousand pounds if we use a proven technique like energy sprung, then you might be able to do a whole street for £50,000. That's a hell of a lot of money to spend. Uh, and many people won't be able to afford to do it. And the government, I think, has quite understood the complexity of this. And I think it's rushing towards a solution, as we saw with the Green Homes Grant, where it doesn't really realise the total costs. And the costs aren't just financial to people. They are delivering better outcomes for business. So we look, I think, Using you know Insulate Britain or uh you know the groups that, that sit in the road, um they would like to insulate deep retrofit or social housing. And I agree with that in a way because it gives market security for business and it means that effectively you can build a base of capacity, but the cost is always going to be for the taxpayer. And 66% of social dwellings are already energy energy efficient between the ratings of A to C, whereas only 40% are in the private and owner-occupied sector. So how are we working out how to deliver better costs and lower uh, lower costs and better outcomes? I don't think government has quite worked that out. And if we move to the electricity side, well, heat pumps are going to cost you between 5000 and whatever you want to pay. Likely 10000 for many homes, uh, which is a lot of money. You know, if you're going to change radiators, potentially go to underfloor because that's a better solution. Um, that is going to be a costly change. And there isn't the availability or quality of workers or designers. We've got around 3,000 heat pump engineers. So that element in itself is going to put the prices up of the actual delivery. So there's a lot of work to be done. for, the, And I think the government's gone the right way in some elements of heat pumps because they are trying to train up more people to do it. And we know there's a pipeline of work, which is ultimately the, the best goal. Uh, but they haven't considered the other issues. You know, we're not thinking about a home that is going to require... Um, heat pumps EV chargers, induction cooking all that is going to require electricity use and it's going to have to upgrade electrical services and when that goes from single phase to three phase the costs are going to be astronomical again because a few homes might be able to do it on the road but if you're doing a whole street that cost is going to have to be passed on to somebody else and we can see that that's, that national cost go elsewhere so if we do decarbonize this, the, the uh our, our grid well the the decontamination of coal and gas is going to cost billions upon billions so anyone that says electricity prices are going down uh, or or energy prices are going down they're going to take the tax off off electricity i'm sorry but the money will have to come from elsewhere so if it doesn't come off that bill it'll come off a different tax and none of these conversations are being had and ultimately for me this is a cost to British business, small business, small British business, because without a pipeline of work, they can't train, retain and innovate. And if we just keep going for big models that don't deliver strategic pipelines, we are not going to get the best cost and the best actual outcome. So kind of to summer for everything, we want warmer homes. And it mean, in turn, it, mean, it means healthier, better maintained buildings, and that will cost less uh, to the NHS. And we need to decarbonize the grid. But we are framing everything as green futures or climate action. And actually, the real change is technological progress. That's the future of British jobs and careers. They're not green jobs, the future of British careers. And I look at this as a change. Uh, Change is happening anyway. I've got to work out within the parameters I'm working with to get the best outcomes. So for me, how do I achieve the best environment for skills, employment, innovation and value? So if we keep flaming, flaming everything as a climate response, innovation will take longer. And we won't focus on the innovators like and Slat, who had the ocean cleanup project. We will just keep focusing on guilt trips and doom. What we need is a proper assessment of what we can achieve. So we don't just inspire markets, but we inspire the people that are actually doing the innovating, like and Slat. So you may see me on Twitter every now and again saying, be less Greta, be more Slat, because that is what we need to do. The people like... The others you're going to hear from. I may know the policy, but the innovators themselves are the ones that will deliver the change that we really need and the cost efficiencies that we deserve.
0: Very good. Uh, Thank you very much indeed, uh, Rico. That was uh, very useful, Um, and uh, in some ways a little bit provocative. Uh, So uh, let's see what the others have to uh, say about it. So we move on to Rick now. Rick
2: Moore, please. Uh, Good evening, everybody. Um, Thanks for the invite. Um, It. I mean, never mind talking about a warm Christmas I think the burning question is perhaps are we going to have a Christmas at all with the direction of travel but I don't want to upset Austin by digressing straight away (laughs) so I mean climate change I think there's there's two questions about net zero the first one is do we need to get there at all I don't feel that question's been answered the science is compelling but not conclusive but I think nonetheless that's the direction of travel and with the majority of the world governments driving towards it that's the way we're going like it or not um so it becomes a question of how we're going to reach net zero um now i mean what rico went through i have to say I've, I, I i happen to agree with an awful lot of that um we need to be having the discussion more about how we're going to be doing it um because if we don't it's going to end in a disaster the direction of travel at the moment It's just a mess. It seems to me like the government are trying to go for headlines to say, look, we're doing this rather than measures that are going to be effective and cost effective and provide an advantage. Um, And I think the big thing that we're missing from all this is honesty, honesty about the costs to the Treasury and to also individuals. (sighs) if we take heat pumps just as a quick example right when people are selling heat pumps like second-hand car salesmen do they'll talk about the efficiency the two or three times more efficient they don't tell you that that's when it's 20 odd degrees outside and you don't want your heating on anyway i mean if you've got an indoor pool that you want to heat they're fantastic you know but when it's freezing outside they may be one and a half times more efficient than a gas boiler but the gas is three times cheaper so Ultimately, when you want to use your heat in the most, it's going to be more expensive than the gas at the moment. Um, Installation costs, again, they are not being honest. The talk sort of in the £10,000 range to install a heat pump. Well, if you're on a gas combi boiler... You're gonna with ten mil pipe work. That's all got to be replaced. Your radiators need to be upgraded, or you need to go to underfloor, as, as as Rico mentioned. You, you may be talking twenty, um, for the average home to be upgraded to a to a heat pump. And even then, if you spent a chunk of that money on the insulation, you'd you'd spend less on gas because your house would be more energy efficient. Um, but it isn't just a, a, a really simple to insulate a lot of properties. And if you look at someone that's maybe in a two bed terrace that's struggling at the moment to pay the heating bills, they've no spare money to start improving the property. How are they gonna get a heat pump? Because they've nowhere to install it. They haven't got the money to do it. Um, And then when we start talking about perhaps moving property into bands where mortgages are dependent on energy efficiency are we going to end up locking a group of people into properties that they can't afford to renovate there's no hope of moving on that just doesn't seem very progressive at all to me um and then you've got the other problem with the housing crisis of young people that can't afford to buy a house If we're going to use building regs to say we've got to have heat pumps and effectively passive house design, because that's what we're talking about. It's going to push up the price an awful lot, which is going to mean that people cannot, less people can afford to buy it. And we exacerbate the housing crisis we've already got. Um, Electric vehicles, you know, not fit for purpose. The, we've got charging issues. We don't generate enough power for all the electric vehicles we need. They don't have the payload. They're just not practical for so many people. But instead of incentivizing electric vehicles and incentivizing manufacturers to improve them, the answer that seems to be coming from government, both nationally and locally, is beat people with a stick, with clean air zones, congestion charges, ULEs, until they can't afford to run the petrol and diesel car and going back to that two bed terrace they probably can't have an electric car because they won't be allowed to trail a charging lead over the pavement and that's if they're lucky enough to be able to park outside the house on the street so we need to look at the possible solutions to all this now i think at the core of most things when you you sort of start adding them up whether that be hydrogen technology or just heating houses with electricity instead of gas, the key to that is going to be cheap electricity. Now, if we can generate that cleanly, we can have a reliable supply. In other words, we generate what we need rather than relying on uh, interconnects from the continent. Then that could actually supercharge our industry. Um, A big part of China's industrial revolution was because they made electricity so cheap At the time, what we were paying maybe 15 pence a kilowatt, China was three to four pence a kilowatt. So their industry benefited greatly from that. And that could be a massive advantage to our economy and boost our manufacturing potentially. It also pulls people out of fuel poverty. And if you're going to generate that energy cleanly, that handles the net zero problem around power generation as well. Um. Another point that I want to quickly make about when I made a comparison to China, um, we're also not being honest about our carbon emissions, because we're not counting what's manufactured abroad. We're just counting what's in our country. So we can outsource all the CO we like and virtue, virtue signal to our heart's content that we've hit net zero. All we've got to do is make China, India and a few others make everything for us. It, it, that seems dishonest to me as well. Um, so the final point I just want to get in and make um, before we, we, we move on, is when we come to electric vehicles and power generation, um, if we're going to do it the way the environmentalists want with wind and solar only, we're going to need storage, and that's all going to need batteries. We need raw materials for those cobalt, lithium, and a lot of that comes out the ground in Africa. Now, there's parts of Africa that child slave labor is being used to to mine those minerals. And I'd just ask, are those children a necessary sacrifice to a green revolution? Or is it just okay because it's not our kids on our doorstep? And if we're going to save the future of the planet for our children, is it morally and ethically right to do that at the expense of childhood itself? Good Over money. to you. <laughs> thank you Very much.
0: Uh, it's a nice, uh, deep, uh, ethical statement to leave us with. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Very, very useful. Cover lots of ground there. And we've, we've, um, we've moved from the local to the global very, very swiftly. But I think it kind of adds to the conversation. Jeff, if you would please.
1: Yeah, thanks
3: a bunch for uh, uh, leading on that particular point to uh, uh, introduce me, but uh, yeah, there you go. Very interesting discussion. I think there's a whole range of things there to start unpacking, um, but I think what I want to do, first of all, without going too deeply into the science kind of stuff, because I ain't a scientist, uh, and I'm not going to pretend to be a scientist, uh, I'm just going to accept the fact the majority of scientists to tend to believe uh, that the planet is warming up and that this in itself creates a huge problem for us uh, because all of a sudden we're going to end up with a situation where we're going to have mass migration on our hands. Uh, if we do not start to deal with these issues, uh, we have some massive uh, global security issues uh, to take into account. On the assumption that our sea levels will rise, we are going to see islands starting to disappear underneath sea levels. We're going to start to see parts of the globe turn into arid deserts that are uninhabitable. Uh, There are a whole range of things that we face here as part of this global uh, climate challenge Um, and arguments ultimately about things like yeah, whether we're going to run a cable across the pavement or something, uh, really sort of pale into insignificance uh, if we're going to start having mass um, mass elements of the population happen to be uh, found uh, uh, new parts of the globe uh, for them to uh, act upon. So I think we, we need to look at that. I think secondly, we need to realize why our energy prices are going up through the bloody roof at the moment. Um, that's because we don't control any of it. Um, what we have done for so long is we've handed over control of our energy supply to others. Directly, indirectly, or in whichever way you want to look at it. Um, I'm, I'm, I was always a, a Remainer, but one of the, the positives that come out of Brexit is that it gives us a chance to start taking back control. And I think that's an important thing that we really need to start looking at. Um, as things currently stand, we could quite easily be held to ransom by those who supply our energy at the moment. And I think we really need to start getting into uh, the understanding of just what that means. The UK still relies about 80 percent on natural gas, providing all of our heating and energy. Uh, resources. Um, we'll compare that with Norway, Sweden, Finland, they're down at about three to five um, they, percent. They rely far more heavily on uh, district heating, biomass uh, and all of these other forms. The, the point here really is that the UK is way behind the curve when it comes to dealing with this. Successive governments have kicked this down the line. When we talked about upgrades to uh, our homes, um, we've been talking about this. I've been on panels with austin in the past um, where we've talked about all of the things that we could potentially introduce uh, there's something called consequential improvements um, that uh, we apply to some of our commercial properties whereby if you're undertaking work it's an expectation that you spend part of that budget in improving the thermal performance of that property at that point in time um, england had the chance to introduce that legislation and we didn't do it Wales chose to do it. So as part of their building regulations, it's a requirement that if you're extending your dwelling, uh, you put a a little back extension on Mrs. Miggins' place, uh, Mrs. Miggins forks out up to 10% of that for energy upgrades at that point in time. Because I think this is one of the critical things that what we really need to do is understand this. this isn't a today thing. This isn't an issue just for today. This is an issue realistically for about the next 50 years. So when we start talking about all these billions, um, yes, there's there's lots of billions that need to be spent, but that's over a period of 50 years. Start dividing that figure down by 50 and it starts to become a more manageable figure. secondly, Um, Let's look at what's happened in the way of technology and production over the last 50 years. Britain, in particular, is great at innovation. And I think we should stop bloody well kicking ourselves over the fact that we can't solve some of these basic, simple problems. Okay, Um, There's no reason why we can't come up with a road surface that the road surface itself would charge the electric cars, for example. Uh, We're looking at things like nuclear fusion. Uh, We have the potential to be one of the lead countries uh, across the entire globe in producing this stuff. If we can crack the nuclear fusion element, for those of you that are not particularly uh, understanding of it, this is clean nuclear energy. This is this is the type that doesn't produce the radioactive waste at the end of it. If we can crack that, then we have a clean, perfect energy supply that will be the answer to a large proportion of our questions. We're an island nation. We're surrounded by water, unlike many other uh, countries around the world. Why are we not doing more on um on wave technology, for example. Uh, One of the great uh, criticisms of the green technology is uh, you rely on the sun coming out, you rely on the wind coming out and you can't predict any of those. The one thing that we can do that's got a reasonable degree of uh, predictability about it is the tide. Uh, Time and tide wait for no man as the uh, traditional statement goes. Um, if If our tides are not coming in and out, we've probably got a bigger problem than what energy uh, we're going to be producing. So I think we really need to start thinking about how we can start looking at these alternative technologies. Uh, we've got biomass that's in the mix. We've got all of these other bits and pieces next. The, the problem is that we have not had a proper energy strategy for the past 20, 30, 40 years. And because we haven't done that, because we haven't made the changes that these other nations have been putting into place, we're behind the curve and all of a sudden we're faced with this massive problem of we've left it to the last minute. Now we're going to have to start doing it. And that's going to come at a huge cost. That huge cost does need to be financed, at least in part, by government. Um, one of the things I think we, we really need to understand is that the, the money is there. We've seen through all of what's happened through COVID that the, the government want to, the government can find the money to do it. And by heck, uh, they can find the money and spunk it up the wall. I'm not allowed, not sure if I'm allowed to say that term, um, but you can... Um, basically spunk out the wall on face masks and COVID apps and all of the stuff that's gone with that with no real outcome to it. We can make sure that we can invest in those people that can actually start to deliver stuff and to make sure that we can, uh, we can be one of the leading nations in the world. This is a huge opportunity for us, okay? We, we speak uh, uh, about all of this, the stuff that's that's out there and all of the challenges that we face. Britain can be at the forefront of doing this. So let's look at this as an opportunity. Let's look at this as a way of creating jobs. Let's look at this as a way of creating technology. Let's not get stuck in the Luddite way of looking at stuff that just because we've always done it that way, we can carry on doing it that way. Let's look to innovate. Let's look to be one of the great global nations as we lead on these items so that's really perhaps what i want to do to really conclude on that yes regulation can be put in but regulation is basically the the basic understanding of the failure of society to do the bloody stuff it should be doing Um, so therefore you've got to put regulation in regulation is the last thing that we need what we need is opportunity we need to create and we need to invest particularly as as we've understood in those small businesses that have the ability to start scaling up on some of their stuff and to start really delivering uh, so that's where I'll leave you.
0: Very thank good you. Jeff very good I think the, I think the phrase was spaff but you've brought it down a notch thank you very much Jeff. Anyway final
4: contribution if you were Casper you said bring a glass of wine I did okay I had a few thoughts but I want to pick up on some things that were that were said. First of all I really like Rico's point technological progress is the future I think ab- absolutely uh, I'll go with that Rick I think uh, a couple of things to pick up on I think carbon counting yes that's a total joke and I'll I'll perhaps expand on that as, as we go through the discussion um, but I, I think that that's the point the, the main takeaway that I took away from that uh, also your point about cheap electricity yes please big tick from me I would pick up on the point about fuel poverty and perhaps we can come back to that because I just think about poverty. I think fuel poverty is a bullshit notion, Um, if you'll excuse the term. But, but, you know, poverty is poverty. You can either pay your bills or you can't pay your bills. Why why talk about fuel poverty? From Jeff, I thought, actually, uh, there's a lot I disagree with, but I'm going to pick up on the points I agreed with first of all. Um, I think yes, opportunity. Yes, let's go with opportunity. I, I like this idea. There are opportunities. There are great opportunities, and I think yes to rejecting regulation as the way forward. Um, so yes, some some real positives there. So I, I I'd like to start with the positives. <laughs> let, let, let's, uh, let 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 let's go go the other way. Um, I think I have some real problems with the whole way this discussion is framed. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm looking at some of the questions that Austin sort of uh, posed to me. I mean, first of all, have Insulate Britain got a point? Well, in a sense, yes, they have in that, you know, there's nothing wrong with insulation. I'm an engineer. I believe in efficiency and, and so on. But Insulate Britain are completely off the wall. I mean, they, they, it is completely mad what they're, they're talking about. You know, if if we if we're serious about this, and if we're serious about influ- sorry, insulation as, as the way forwards, then what we want to be talking about is completely replacing the whole housing stock of of the UK, or or eighty percent of it, which which is is fine. I'd be all for that if if there was if there was the uh, the will to go for that, but I can't see that ever happening. So so it's completely unrealistic. It's it's complete pie in the sky. Should we have more energy sources or fewer? This was another question that Austin posed. More, obviously, I think there's, there's no question of that. The idea that you'd be closing down our oil fields and the idea that you would be actually stopping opening of, of uh, coal coal mines that were actually not used for energy, in, in fact, but uh, is, is hugely problematic. Condensing boilers, what's the issue? Well, well. There isn't an issue. That, I mean, the, the real issue is actually updating the stock that we have. I mean, if we're serious about this, are we willing to invest? The, this is the question actually that, that goes across all of these questions. Now, if we're willing to invest in the future, you look at the Victorians and the way that they approach things. You know, they, they have gridlock in, in London and they, they build, a, they build the, the tube system or they have the great stink and they, they, they build the sewer network. But, you know, if you actually have a belief in your own future and a belief in the trajectory that your society is going in, uh, then yes, but we're not, we're not going to see that sort of investment. I'd love to see that sort of investment, uh, that investment in the future, that belief in the future. Yes, I'm all for it, but but that's not where we are. Uh, OK, we've got this point about housing stock, which which is, again, the same thing. Should we build newer or fewer? Well, clearly, we should be building on on a scale that's never been seen before we've got a growing population we should be building housing stock absolutely everywhere and we should be replacing old housing stock absolutely everywhere and then perhaps none of what we're talking about would even be an issue it just 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 seems like a no-brainer to me Um, but that's again clearly not the trajectory that this current society is, is taking are we merely being asked to reduce our home heating or are we saving the planet or, or both? Well, um, neither, really. I mean, I mean you know, who, who's going to bloody save the planet by having a bit of insulation bloody put in? It's, it's an absolute laugh. I mean, you look at the way that the whole discussion around climate change and, and coming back to um, some, some of the points that uh, Rick, Rick made about net zero. How do we get there? who gives a a toss, you know, I mean, how do we get there is completely irrelevant. If you actually believe in climate change, I've actually looked at the the science, I work in an engineering department, I work with a lot of climate scientists, I think the science is, is, is fairly strong. But if we're actually serious about this, we would be looking at uh, geoengineering technologies. Reducing carbon is absolutely going to have no effect at all for 150 years. So why is that the whole focus of COP26? It's a complete joke. It doesn't doesn't make any sense at all. Um, If they were serious about it, they'd be looking at how do we actually intervene in the climate? How do we actually do something about it? Net zero is going to achieve absolutely nothing um Let alone increases in carbon emission. But okay, so this is if, if this is if the current scientific consensus, which is always questionable, but you know that's if it's correct, you know that that's not the direction that uh, that we need to go in. um Right. What else? I've got a whole list of things. I don't know how much time have I taken. I'll give I'll you st-
0: another minute. Guys.
4: Another <laughs> another minute. I've got far too many things to say. um Okay. Um, do we need more less or smarter energy i'll just pick up on that one because i think clearly we need more energy and clearly we do need smarter energy but less is 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 an absolute no-no from me um i think uh you know some of the technologies we've talked about uh, the, the heat pump stuff there is nothing wrong with heat pumps it's great if you've got a couple of acres i'd i'd go for that if I had two acres I would go for ground source heat pumps that would be, be lovely lovely but most of the people I live I know live in either in terraced houses in which these these uh, you know the air, air air-based heat pumps are nowhere near as efficient and, and a bit of a joke and, and a huge cost with, with uh, not much gain but let alone if you live in a flat I mean who are we talking about? we're talking about a very small percentage of the population who might have a huge amount of land. Well, okay, that's fine. Go for it. I'll stop there.
0: <laughs> very good. So I, I thought Jeff was angry, but uh, that was...
4: Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm I'm
0: just
4: impatient.
0: <laughs> well, look, I mean, I'm going to ask a couple of questions, but my first one is to come back to you. I introduced you as the person running the steering committee, blah, 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 on education for sustainable development. And you, so... Um, <laughs> What's that about?
4: But no, actually, I, I think the the RCE the, which was the regional center of expertise, it, it was a, it was a United Nations idea to sort of set up these RCEs around the country. This was regional center of expertise in education for Sustainable development. And actually, what we were interested in in the Northeast, which I thought made it quite distinct from all the RCEs across the world was that we were actually really focused on on the social implications of, of sustainable development rather than the very narrow sort of technical approach, which was very anti-human, in my opinion. Um, I can expand on that if you want me to. Well, but I'm I don't sure really you will, Casper, whatever I yeah. think.
0: Right, there's a, there's a range. I mean, the, the, the nice thing is that there's a general consensus-ish, but there's also little niggly things which, uh, you know, need to be kind of drawn out, I suppose. And, you know, we've had uh, the very sedate approach by Rico about business. We have uh, Rick giving us the northern gravitas, uh, Jeff being feisty and Caspar having a cup of drinks. So I think there's, you know, there's a, a range of opinion just in terms of presentational style. You know, 30% of buildings are built pre-war in this country, 30% up to the 1980s and then 30% of housing is after 1980. And so those, those last third, they're fine in many respects. But, the, but, you know, there's an awful lot of very old housing. Uh, and you could say there's a cultural motif of brick building in this uh, in this country. Uh, and whether you want to just then cover that with insulation and, and render, um, you know, maybe is what, what has to be done. But whether that's feasible or not is, is another question. The, the whole idea about will innovation happen and what innovation is required, I just want to get a sense from you as to what maybe is happening, what, what should be happening, whether this idea of fusion which I think Rick raised, is uh, is the answer. Oh, and, and Jeff mentioned it as well. The idea of nuclear fusion is whether that is you know, what we should be looking at rather than wind turbines and solar panels even, as well as, you know, the heat, forget the heat pumps. But anyway, what's, what's your general thoughts on, on this? Anybody want yeah,
1: to? Yeah, so I can, I, I can jump in yeah, there. So um, responding to what Rick said earlier about um, children in Martins, yeah, it's an absolute issue. And I saw recently in Birmingham they've installed a 50 to 100 megawatt lithium-ion battery uh, to support the grid. AMBRI are doing a renewable liquid metal system that's easy to recycle and to restart, easy to fix, uh, to fix up, and it doesn't require any precious metals. So why on earth are we already using outdated technology? It just seems baffling to me. Uh, And there are so many other elements, you know, solar power. I, I think it's a really great technology, especially if you want to... Move off the grid potentially, but you know, are we investing in stuff like uh, perovskites? Uh, are, are we looking at the those small modular reactors in the right way for nuclear? You know, if a small modular modular reactor can power t- 100,000 homes, and they keep the nuclear innovation drive going, and potentially use it waste material, why aren't we all talking about these things? You know, fusion and fission are two different things, and you even move on to, you know, what Jeff said about Britain leaving the EU and wasting its opportunity is so key. So recently uh, a company in Silicon Valley announced a solid state diamond battery. Now what they've done is they've created they've created that from using old nuclear waste. However, what, what people probably won't know is that the first real delivery of that product, of that innovation was delivered at Bristol, at University of Bristol, not so long ago. So once again, we've exported our innovation, our brilliance to somebody else, who is going to advance on that and that keeps coming up and up and up and and I think that I actually think that Britain and the Western countries can do a lot for the global solution in energy and lots of decarbonisation so there's a big push on at the moment to remove concrete from the, the use of buildings well it's the second most used material in the world so if we can reuse and recycle it better so recycle it by having precast concrete reuse it sorry reuse with with precast concrete and recycle by you know breaking it down and reusing it in different buildings and reduce the the amount of energy used in its production well that has a global influence but the problem is, is that it's everything is framed as no, we shouldn't be using that product. We should be using wood. Well, that's fine, but we also it takes years to grow wood, and if everybody does it, there's not going to be enough. So we don't think about the actual strategy to get to the end goal. And I think that a lot of this is, you know, hearing heat pumps come up. Well, I've had this argument a few times with people. They're not a renewable technology. They use a renewable. They use renewable energy as a to make them more efficient. So, really they need to be talked about slightly differently. That's not a criticism. I think they're still good. But unless we actually talk about what it is we're trying to aim for and why, I think that we're going to keep missing it. And someone just said, what's the end goal? Well, the end goal for me is that it's about innovation. It's about making your cars, you know, when i not ever to meet somebody that's like, that doesn't want to do anything about the climate. I say to them, well, do you want a faster car? Do you want cheaper energy? Do you want to go off grid? And suddenly all these things are appealing to them. If you set that challenge in the market, I guarantee you someone's going to meet it. And a great example is the the growth of uh, Sunamp who are doing the thermal battery. Uh, That company is going from strength to strength. And they are really working out that innovation is the key. Whoever talks about Sunamp, who in the government ever talks about companies like that? Nobody. And unless we start doing that, I just, I don't see how we can innovate society and create business models that mean that we've got a security of jobs, security of energy, and security of a better future.
0: Okay, fair news. I mean, obviously, it's to, just to give perspective to some of the audience, I mean, obviously, the construction industry is still 99% laying one brick on top of another using some wet, sloppy material. We've been doing it for 5,000 years, so the innovation, which we all know about robotics or about uh, 3D printing or whatever it might be, that, it's been talked about for an awful long time but hasn't actually come in. So it is a question as to whether the industry itself is resistant. Um, we'll come back to you in a minute, Rico. Uh, Rick, let me come to you. I,
2: I agree with what Rico's saying on that. I mean, technology is the way forward. And one of the things that really frustrates me is that, we'll talk about electric cars, the technology will improve, it will get there, you know, and that's fine. But we can't talk about technology that might negate the need for doing any of this, like Casper said, with geoengineering and so on. So there's a resistance, it seems to me, to sort of shy away from possible technological advancements in one respect. But when you talk about, oh, yeah, we can go to electric cars, you know the technology will be there in the other it seems a little bit to me sort of like what suits um and again we sort of you know i think casper said about lithium and cobalt and what have you and, and and you know we've got other technologies there that again we need to develop at the end of the day we can get to net zero and whether you know the climate science or it is right, or it's wrong. I don't. I don't know anyone that isn't happy with getting cleaner. For the sake of getting cleaner, it makes the environment better. Yeah. Um, and if you look at heating through the, the 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 centuries, you know, from when we're going to campfires and 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 what have you, humanity has always strived to improve a lot in life. You know, we want better cleaner, more efficient. And that's that that's the way we head um as a society. I, I just think we need to be driving the advancement. We need to be honest about what we're doing to our society and our finances and all the implications it entails, the human cost as well. And 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 really sort of throw that all into the mix because at the moment it just it's getting washed over with a few snazzy headlines. Jeff, anything to come back on?
3: picking up on some of the the points that are being made i think one of the things we keep forgetting is if we're talking about carbon or energy efficiency or whatever else we're talking about there, that the most efficient buildings are the ones that we've already got. If you start to knock the whole bloody lot down and rebuild it, the amount of waste material, the amount of new material that you're gonna have to extract in order to be able to build these buildings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is ridiculous. Um, There's so much talk about how um, we would be, everything should be built out of timber. Absolute nonsense. We don't have enough timber to build anything like that in this country. Um, so you're going to be importing it from elsewhere and harvesting it, etc. Um, forget that. Um, it, it's just not green. Um, if you actually look at the, the carbon journey, the amount of energy that's actually used to produce all of this stuff, um, we, we can forget that because so you're actually using more uh, than, than you're actually producing. One of the things that we need to get our heads around is that buildings – um, have a lifespan and that what we're not doing is that we're not reusing and recycling those in the correct way. We can, re- we, if we actually put some more thought into how we put these buildings together in the first instance, if, we, if you imagine that a building was actually a Meccano set, you could actually take it apart and reuse those parts. You're not then extracting more raw materials. You've not got children down mines. You've not got any of these things um, going on. So th- there's lots that we, we can um, do with that. Uh, when we talk about people in uh, terraced homes and they've got no access to to be able to put these um, uh, uh, ground source air source heat pumps and stuff, uh, yet yeah, we're, we're forgetting district heating systems. Uh, London, in particular, um, had the most efficient district heating system that was going. So let's start to think about that. Let's let's if we're going to have a housing site, why has everyone got to have a boiler, right? why do we not get the heating shared out a, amongst people um, in a more even and a more societal uh, way so the more we can move to to look at things like uh, district heating systems uh, I think uh, we, we need to really start looking at, at those kind of things um, and, and in fact come to that why are we paying for heating at all um, we could as a society decide that we're going to distribute Free heating to everyone, if that's what we decided to do. If you're, uh, if we're as dictatorial as, say, Russia or China might be, uh, we can move people out of their homes and we can put them into lovely new uh, carbon efficient homes. Uh, wipe out the uh, the little villages that were there, and then build some nice high rises on the. If if that's what we want to do, so it depends on the society that we want to be part of. Uh, and I think, and I hope. Uh, that we have some very, very good and very proper uh, societal views uh, in this country that we want to protect. Um, That said, the thing that worries me most about this Um, is the concept of carbon trading and carbon offsetting. Um, And it all of a sudden being some kind of financed, franchised thing that you end up with global traders and all the banking and stuff that goes Let's keep those people well away from any of the things that we're talking about doing here, uh, because otherwise we're going to have another disaster on our hands. Let's focus on reuse um, and let's look at innovation. Very
0: good, very good, okay, Uh, thank you very much. casper i'll come back to you for a final okay, comment i'll come okay. back to the audience there's a couple of people can i before really you start casper i've That's got some a couple of people who have already indicated but i might not be able to see all of you so bear with me casper
4: um okay yeah a few a few things uh, yeah jeff i i agree the carbon trading thing just com, com, complete nonsense and that comes back to Rick's points about carb, carbon counting i, I mean it, it is just absolutely ludicrous um, I think just, just to pick up a couple of things. I, actually, I particularly because I've been trying to look at the chat as well, which is always difficult when you're listening to what's being said as well. But uh, but Sheena asked this question, which I thought was uh, perhaps the most pertinent question of all, which was, uh, "What's the end goal?" And and I think to me, what 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 is the end goal? Well, the, I mean, I've I've got kids, you know. So to me, the end goal is that the, the world that they uh, are adults in is better than the one that I was an adult in. Simple, simple as that. And not only that, but I'm not just talking about my own kids, but kids absolutely everywhere. Um, I actually want the future to be better than the present. That's, that's actually why my approach to sustainability was sort of the opposite of most people's because I reject the idea of sustaining the present. I believe in a better future um actually i was, it brought me back to to chris um sorry rick rick's point earlier on which was about you know talking about children because uh, it made me think about when we when um the whole brexit stuff was going on and 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 people were drowning you know trying to get into europe and they were talking about about us 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 being sort of nationalists or whatever because we wanted to get out of europe and but europe was was letting people drown um and and there was a thing in the news where they talked about oh no well we need to look after our own and i thought well in in whose world our children who are drowning in the sea, not our own. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't actually get it. So to me, a better future is one that's better for all of humanity. And and so, yeah, that, that's a, it's a very general point. But it but she Sheila's uh, comment really, really uh, struck me. Uh, again, I mean, coming back to, the, uh, I think it was, was it Rick made the point about technology as the way forwards, which picked up on, on Rico's point earlier? I think yes and no. I actually think um, belief in the future is really the way forwards i think it's a political thing um i, I do believe in technology i I'm, I'm an engineer and technology has a huge part to play but actually politics is, is is probably more important and i think today's politics is is a real hindrance to actually moving in in, in the right direction i think in particular environmental Politics, which which I think is really what we're talking about here. Free heating, I love the idea of free heating, um, but you know, when when we actually have the sort of political change that uh, that I'm talking about, maybe we'll have free heating. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, I'll I'll leave it there. There's lots of people no. who want to come in. Let indeed, them.
0: indeed, indeed. People discovered the uh, the hand function. So look, I I've, I've got <laughs> yes. a couple who um, who indicated earlier, uh, Stuart
5: yeah well uh casper and, and i'd say jeff as well said um talked about the science the science um of climate change being fairly strong um and then i think it was casper who said that but net zero makes no sense Well, you know to me the net the whole net zero thing doesn't make any sense because it's not actually about the climate um and i don't see you know the cop 26 is not about stopping climate change uh, at all um i don't see that the science is strong either um i mean you know, Casper referred to the climate scientists, you know, but I would say that climate scientists are essentially computer modellers who've um, been consistently wrong and they need to ramp up the fear to justify their the grants that they get. Um, and they haven't shown, you know, they haven't provided any evidence, evidence that um, human activity is actually warming the planet at all. Um, there isn't a scientific consensus, um, you know, as if science should ever be about a consensus anyway. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you look at the actual data, sea level is not rising. Um, you know, hurricanes are not increasing. None of the you know none of the data shows any movement towards a warmer, um, more dangerous climate. Um, if, if anything, it's, it's you know it's going to get colder. Um, and I, you know, I think that we have to expose this this fraud, which you know is is not about like I say, it's not about climate change. It's really about in, um, impoverishing us about population control, um, and about bypassing democracy. Um, And, um, you know, until that's exposed, we can't really have a sensible debate about innovation and technology and and so on. Because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, cutting carbon emissions is not important. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect the climate. The climate is going to change. Um, And, you know, we need to be looking at all the technology that's available to us, regardless of whether it emits carbon dioxide or, or not, um, and that's what, you know, that is what is going to improve um, our situation and our children's.
0: Thank you very much indeed, too. Um OK, I'll come back to you. <laughs> I think I'm on now.
6: I think I'm on now. Can you, you hear me? You
0: are. You are. are you with us.
6: Yeah. But very quickly, I agree totally with what Stuart's just said. Every bit of it. I will ask you if you write down GWPF. Write it down, please. Global Warming Policy Foundation and look it up and follow it for a few days or a few weeks. If there had been a conspiracy to get us in the state we're in today, it has worked very well. So the question is, is there a conspiracy? Well, I haven't time to discuss that now. So let me get back to what you've been discussing now. I've spoken at three conferences on an educational building, school building. And found that very often the builders put technology in, which ups the price. And then you find that many schools have a, a situation, for instance, where a, cl- a teacher cannot even open the window on a hot day. And yet, well, suddenly we have COVID, and they're saying, whatever you do, open the windows. So they've had to go back and take the technology away um, so that the teachers can open the windows. So sometimes you get people pulling. And what they're doing is pulling us into more problems and costing us a fortune. And this happens right across the board. I can only tell you a few. I can only tell you that the Maldives aren't sinking. I can only tell you that atolls don't sink. They grow and that's the way they behave. I can only tell you The the sea level on the south, south of England is rising by three millimeters a year, but it's been doing that since the last ice age. So the Romans left 1600 years ago, and their docks are 16 feet below on the Thames. You have to dig down 16 feet to find their level, right? So that's That's three millimeters a year. However, in Scotland and even North Wales, where they have castles that had sea gates when they were built six, seven hundred years ago, those sea gates don't work now because the sea is too low. So I was at a conference in, in Inverness where I got the three people who were in education on tides, on weather on the general environment, to admit at the very end that they are lying to children. Now, that was organized by the people who who have run the whole thing about putting wind into the North Sea. And they got me as a token uh, um, opposition, the only one. But at the end, I pointed out that they were all lying about the situation to make it worse so that we have knee reactions, and, and go crazy on what we do. Now, can I go back into a couple of points? The point about f- fusion, nuclear fusion, forget it in our lifetimes. I've been to, to, to see the the graphs, and I went 20 years after they were working, and another 10 years after they were working, and, 50, and five years after that. When they say they've achieved a fusion in America, He achieved it for a fraction of one second. It is not in the pipeline. It won't happen. It's much, much more complicated than that. But nuclear is fine. I was asked if I would chair a meeting at COP26 on nuclear, an open debate. COP26 said, we're not discussing nuclear. There's no possibility of net zero without nuclear. And yet, we have turned the Chinese down. The Japanese have pulled out from UK nuclear build. Why? Because they don't see it making common sense. So, everything you said about heat pumps—they're incredibly expensive. But if you put a heat pump in, you'd need to double the amount of your radiators you've got, even to make it work. And it goes on and on. If we got here by a conspiracy, the conspiracy is working. So you have to ask that.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Johnny. Very very uh, useful. Thanks a lot. Can I? Do you mind? Uh... The, the two people with their hands are waiting. Can I come back to the panel if there's anything they'd want to respond to What's that's been said? Uh, there wasn't a great deal of divergence in the contributions that were said, uh, but uh, that's Casper's hand up. If you anybody, I mean, you don't you don't have to respond to everything that's been done, but if there's any one point you want to pick up on, Casper, uh,
4: I did mean to make the point earlier about fusion. I, I, I agreeing with with Johnny in that. I mean, I've, I've looked at this again and again over the decades now and it's and it's always 30 years away it's still 30 years away but it was 30 years away 40 years ago so um so yeah unfortunately that isn't the option but i also agree with johnny that, that there's the fission i mean why why not there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with fission there's been a huge resistance to new nu- nuclear power which has has really ha- hampered us us moving forwards and in terms of providing the energy that that we need, um, so so I would make that point. I, I I don't buy into conspiracy theories in in general, but I do agree that there's 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 a lot of. Uh, I, I mean, you you use the word lying. I I use the word BS earlier on or whatever, but but yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of exaggeration. However you want to put it, it it's uh, yeah 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 i i'll i'll, I'll let right. other
0: people come in thanks very much uh, anybody want to come back on anything that's been said uh, yeah go on let's have uh, rick and then right. we go
2: yeah um just i, I mean i agree nuclear is going to be key if we're going to have carbon-free energy generation um the holy grail of course is um nuclear fusion but in the meantime why can't we develop fishing technology and make that more efficient? You, you know, there's no reason why not. And I don't understand the the, the the environmental lobby that are so against nuclear. They should be so for nuclear because um, it's going to be key to reaching their goals anyway. Um, on the science, in <sighs> inverted commas, <sighs> yeah, I mean. <sighs> there's a lot of compelling science about climate change, but it's not conclusive. And even if someone said it was conclusive, there was once a time when the science said the world was flat until it was proved it was round. There was once a time the science said the sound barrier couldn't be broken. You know what I mean? The science, you can't say that's it, it's conclusive and that never changes. It's always evolving. And I think that that's an important point to bear in mind. Okay,
0: fine. Thank you very much, Rick. I mean, obviously the science says that uh, COVID is amongst us, but it's a political decision as to whether we lock down or not. Um, so it's a distinction between those things. I mean, both of them could be correct, both of them could be wrong, but I mean, I'm not casting any uh, aspersions on the science. It's more what we do with it is actually quite an interesting uh, uh, discussion, isn't it? That's where we're at here. So, uh, Rico. Uh, just up,
1: very right? quickly, just something Casper said earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, leaving, you know, if we can twin a better future with a better, you know, not just a better world, but a better future uh, for, you know, in terms of employment, in terms of opportunity, then that's what we should be aim- aiming for. And I think that because we know where we are, we know where we're going. What's wrong with, you know, cleaner air, because we've got EVs? What's wrong with less and cheaper energy in buildings and vehicles? What's wrong with cheaper flying? Because the fuel now isn't a monopoly by some organisations taking all out the ground, but potentially invested in by airline companies themselves. You know, there are opportunities to be had here. uh, And I think that we just need to start having these conversations because that will develop the cost conversation. And a cost conversation is really important. Uh, And I really think the market is not really understood properly. You know, Margaret Thatcher, ironically, did a huge amount for uh, the climate conversation. And she did it by being quite focused I think that we spent the last 30 years being really broad and not focusing on what outcomes we should be achieving. And they aren't just climate, they are better world and better innovation and moving forward.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, anybody playing Margaret Thatcher bingo out there? You just won a prize. Um, the, uh, I think the other thing to say is, is that one of the interesting things, well, of, of many interesting things you said, Rico, uh, very earlier, was, was about there not being enough engineers. You know, this whole discussion about putting in heat pumps, but they're not enough engineers. That also fits into that conversation, you know, whether it's post-Brexit or post-COVID, that you know, lorry drivers, shortages, you know, all the rest of it. There is a, um, and, and every one of you has mentioned it, that there's an inability to actually grasp this nettle and actually have a programmatic or a structural discussion as to how you solve a problem. Even if, even if we had disagreed what the problem is you know, you have to kind of then say there's a strategic overview as to what it is that you have to do in order to solve it. And that's the bit which doesn't seem to be partic- uh, happening particularly. But that's my opinion. We'll come back to uh, any brief thoughts afterwards. So we've got Alex and then Tom and Sheila.
7: Hello. Uh, thank you, panel. Um, it's a really rational discussion that's being had here. Um, and the problem is, it's why I'm here, but the problem is that's not what the discussion is is in general, indeed, I would characterize it as apocalyptic. And my question, such as there is one, if um, if strategy, such as there is one, uh, uh, if um, technological um, advances are couched in terms of a future that terrifies people who are running the country or countries, It strikes me that this poses a real problem for innovation, technological innovation. Technological innovation is happening, but it's not being pursued in any meaningful sense. And so I kind of think that therein lies the problem. There's no point just shouting, we need better technology, this technology is better than this technology, when the framework for this discussion is one apocalypticism? That's maybe what we have to worry about more than what kind of technology we might eh, 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 want to use.
0: Thanks very much. Apocalypticism that will that will go down in history. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I, just to, just to reference that point, I mean, I think it's very important to to have that uh, discussion. That if innovation is driven by a tunnel vision view about what the future should be. So if if you only innovate in order to cut carbon, then you're not really innovating with a 360 degree vision about what the possibilities are. So you're already minimizing what that innovation could be. I think that's an important point. Um, Tom, please. Oh, Rosie, Ah, sorry. Well, it comes up to Tom on the screen, sorry. Uh, Yeah, so
8: um, a few things. Thinking about what the the end goal is, surely we should have so much uh, so much reliable power, for instance, that we, you know, it lights up our lives. We can we can almost just forget about it, let it all work. It's incredibly reliable. Um, I was listening to the people talking about how how it was when they were all cut off from electricity and mains water in uh, in the northeastern and, and Aberdeenshire and you know just how unpleasant that was but um when I was growing up I lived with uh a cantankerous a diesel generator basically for the the source of power intermittent power sucks um and I think that's for that reason I I find myself now a bit of a nuclear power utopian. I I just like the idea of something that we just, we know we let it run. We forget about it. So I I don't quite understand why we don't focus ourselves completely on nuclear. I I don't, I don't understand the, the need for other sources of power, particularly um, (laughs) just to to replace what we've got. Um, and then I suppose the other thing I just wanted to talk about was, you know, we've talked about the direction and the and the uh, the vision behind doing things. I just wonder whether any of the panel have got any insight as to what the hell is wrong with our grid that it took so long to repair that damage. You know, is that is that the will to do it? Is it the skills? Is it the, the whole supply chain thing again? or Or is it that we just We've just given up on it as as an idea.
0: Thanks very much. Uh, Sheila?
9: Just a couple of comments, really, on what I've been hearing. Again, um, I think um, that idea of nuclear or indeed fracking as a kind of macroeconomic set of policies, I think would be really interesting. And, you know, I personally think that's what we should be doing. But the problem is... That would need macroeconomic decisions and we're not doing anything actually macro so we've made it all about individual behavior change and at very localized levels so um the problem i have with the whole debate generally is you know we, we're talking about how people live in their homes in towns and cities you know across the whole country we've got rented properties people paying mortgages we've got massive range of incomes and we have indeed got some very poor people. Um, we used to dream of district heating and warm insulated homes, and, and in fact, we have had that. Many thousands and tens of thousands of homes have been made better since the fifties, the nineteen seventies, the nineteen eighties. You know, so in terms of the condition of the housing stock, um, you know, we, it has been massively improved. Um, and I think we need to think about this debate in terms of actual housing markets themselves. I mean, my starting point is that we're not building enough, full stop, and the energy discussion is on the back of that. Um, so I suppose it's the for me, it's there's, there's a set of macro discussions about what energy policy might be at a very national level, and we're increasingly incapable of thinking nationally. And everything seems to have turned into individual moralistic judgments on whether we turn the heating on or off, or whether we open the windows in our own homes. I mean, I'm burning a coal fire tonight from a bag of coal from the garage because I like it. You know, I like it. It's just really nice and cozy. I live in a tiny little house and I like it. And we go in a car to the garage to get a bag of coal. Sorry.
0: Sorry was very well placed. I, I had a sticky feeling it might have been ironic. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, look, let's come back to the panel. Um, in some ways, possibly even summing up comments at the time has, uh, has flown by, I have to say. who wants to make a few points on what's being said. So This is much more of a, uh, a, a comment, more broadly than just a climate change conversation. So I, I liked, um, uh, well, those last two comments and, and uh, Alex's, which I've reinforced, Rosie talking about, you know, in, in some ways, will the lights go out? Will we run out of energy? Will we have to do these kind of um, restrictive policies as a, as a necessity rather than actually as a, as a choice as it's been posed to us now? Uh, and the idea about macroeconomic having this kind of bigger picture conversation. Uh, any any thoughts on this? Uh, oh, Rico, well done. You've got your hand. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Yeah, I'll take you a minute. Rico and then Yeah,
1: I think there, there are macro approaches coming up. There's not enough. So we wrote an article recently about trying to get government to invest in uh, hydrogen for uh, businesses, so commercial industry, you know, tile makers, because I think they're the ones that you know that potentially might be able to f- uh, fuel local areas like your district heating, and they're going to be part of a broader approach. There's a hydrogen scheme going on in Newcastle at the moment, a town I think 800 homes, uh, a trial. You know, it takes a while to get nuclear online, and it's costly. Um, and Jeff mentioned innovation earlier, and Alex made a really good point that made me think about what Jeff said earlier. Uh, what are the innovation drivers now? i'm i've been trying to get quite popular people to talk about onshore wind and three or four years ago i had a bit of falling out with somebody who's got quite a popular show on you on their youtube now about renewable energy and those sort of things and climate issues and he he wouldn't accept that planning was an issue planning is a huge issue whether you want to deliver um a better facade to the front of your house to make it more energy efficient maybe you want to st- stick on a loft conversion that makes it more efficient if you want to get an onshore wind turbine these elements are regulations that are stopping outcomes and for me i wrote something recently that, that really resonated we are putting everything on taxpayers but actually these are subsidy free solutions and if we enabled companies to deliver an onshore wind farm or the or you know we heard. Um, thing mentioned earlier about tidal if we enable these opportunities for these companies they would take them because they see these opportunities but and that maybe comes back to the macro element again uh, because we had to we take it you know let's be honest this government likes localism and it says well we want someone else to take the accountability and the blame for this so we will put it on you as a local community when no the macro approach would be government taking the political risk and saying do you know what We think this is the solution and we will take the hit. I don't think it would be that much of a hit because in the long term, energy prices would come down and we've seen it with solar farms in Kent. The subsidy isn't needed. But unless you enable them, unless regulation enables them, innovation drivers are not going to be able to take the risks. And that's what this government and many other governments don't understand. They think that they can solve the problem. They can't. They can simply drive towards the solutions.
3: Thanks very much, Jeff. Please. Yeah, I'll quickly jump in and pick up on uh, a point that Rico was making there. Yeah, so so what we need is government to be in a. The- an enabler we need planning regimes that are there to enable and to drive forward these things uh, so i would absolutely agree with that i think we do need to start rethinking about i, I, I don't want to go back to everything from the 1960s and stuff um, but i think there was a role for things actually being in state ownership um, and not selling them off to uh, foreign companies uh, and such like and that, that gives you the ability To be actually able to drive these things. Um, Again, I do think that uh, we do need to think about energy security in all of this as well, and not just relying on uh, the the risk that we face from um, potential conflict in the future, uh, cutting off the power supply. Uh, to us. Uh, Two things, though, I really wanted to get in that we haven't really uh, mentioned. One was, let's bear in mind that uh, for for London, at least, we had all of the smogs uh, and everything, and we had to do something about that because the science was blatantly clear in front of our eyes uh, about an inch in front of our eyes in that particular case, uh, but it was there immediately in front of our eyes. So if we can see it, we'll do something about it. Uh, I think one of the issues is because we're not directly seeing it Uh, we're not necessarily understanding it. the the facts are that more people die due to overheating in our homes during the summer months our buildings actually get too hot um, and more people die as a result of that than there are in fires and now let's look at all the things that we're doing at the moment we're recladding and taking the insulation off and taking the cladding off everything else that's gone into that and the investment's going into that and yet We are ending up with, I think, at the moment, over 2,000 people a year dying. And with a prediction, that's going to be over 5,000 people a year dying due to overheating in our homes. And that is one of, and likewise with cold as well, uh, for for that. There's lots of people die of cold. There's lots of people die of overheating. It's about the building itself, not the fabric of the building itself, not being able to provide a consistent regulated aid. Um, But the other thing I really want to, to get across is let's not for one moment think, that there won't be a whole series of unintended consequences to whatever we think the outcome is going to be, whatever we think the plan is going to be, there'll be something um, in the law of Murphy that ensures it will not go the way we think it will go. And that we also have to have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, and a plan E. Um, And unless we're prepared to allow for the fact that uh, if we put all of our um, eggs in one basket, if we only back the one donkey, uh,
2: the chances are we'll lose.
0: Thanks for mentioning Plan B, not the most popular uh, letter in the alphabet at the moment. Great,
2: Apocalyptic, someone said. And, 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 and that kind of resonates with me because, I mean, let's just zoop, zip back to COP26. It's one minute to midnight. And I mean, so many other speeches that catastrophized the whole thing. And I think we are in danger of getting caught up in the dramatics rather than just taking that breath and just looking at things in a pragmatic way with a a clean head. You know, at the end of the day, I think if the world leaders believed the contents of the speeches that they delivered at COP26, we would already be seeing massive, massive changes. Because if it's as bad as they say, we're in real trouble. I think the fact is that it's not that bad. But even, you know, the science isn't conclusive. We don't know either way. I've no issue with going with green technologies for the sake of a better environment Um, I just think we have to be honest about what that's going to entail and we have to look at it pragmatically. And again, and, and, and I go back to power generation being the key, as Jeff said um it needs you know we can't be relying on interconnects from the continent the next time france spit the dummy out they could well just cut a cable half of us are in blackness you know far better that we generate all the power that we need if we're going to generate a surplus we can sell it back um i i think that is the way mainly that we're gonna we're, we're, we're gonna get to net zero if that's where we're gonna go but i think whether or not net zero we need it if we could have that cheap, if um, efficient, clean, reliable, secure power generation, it'd be a good thing, regardless of whether we need to get to net zero, it, it would have a whole host of benefits. Um, and we do we need to have a 360 look at the innovation, we can't be focusing on one thing, and ignoring others. Um, innovation will progress naturally, it's we always have as a as, as a as a species. And um, if we try and drive it in one particular direction, we could well miss opportunities in other directions.
0: That's fine. I'm sorry if I spoke over you, but um, just to introduce one different element, but we haven't got time to pursue it, is this, um, since people mentioned China, the way you, way some people are describing it, there's this kind of autarkic, if you excuse the expression with a K, autarkic, uh, tendency of, you know, nation states protecting themselves and having this kind of energy um, defensiveness because we can't rely, or we can't trust, or we can't, you know, uh, negotiate and liaise with other other trading nations, especially the ones that we think are hostile or, or worrisome. But, you know, therefore we end up then generating our own electricity for our own uses. And in some ways, I've always thought that's what, you know, solar panels and uh, 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 photovoltaics was, you know I mean? Just in case the national grid goes down, I'm all right, Jack, because I've got a solar <laughs> panel on my roof. The idea of the national grid is such a brilliant conceptual idea of providing energy for everyone. I just think that's a, 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 one way to look at it. And I feel as if there's a fragmented tendency today. Anyway, that's my little rant.
4: Yeah, you had to bring China, didn't you, Austin? <laughs> it wasn't me.
0: It wasn't me. <laughs> um,
4: yeah. Yeah. A, a couple of things. I, I like this word apocalypticism. I had to it took me a while to write it down. It was uh, it was just I was like how'd oh, you, can, know, can, how can you can. write that? <laughs> but yes, I'm gonna use that one. Um I, I, I think uh, Alex is absolutely right with this. You know, the discussion more broadly, as in outside of this particular forum, is just not rational. And, and and this is a real problem and actually what we need to do is inject some rationality into that external discussion. This discussion here has been far too rational, uh, it doesn't reflect the outside world at all. I mean what really strikes me, you know, everyone talks about the climate emergency, um, I'm not, you know, as, as I said, I'm, I, I'm, I'm quite willing to go along with with a lot of the climate science but this idea of a climate emergency, the fact that Newcastle University have bought into it, as well as, you know, whoever, you know, everybody pers- everybody's bought into it, is simply depressing. The idea, you know, it encourages irrationality. It doesn't encourage um, taking any any sort of rational approach to the whole problem and you see this with there's a, a strong parallel with the whole response to covid as well you know it doesn't make for sensible decision making when you look at things in terms of in these sort of a, apocalyptic ways so so yes um just want to speak up on that i i also i i thought sheila's point about individual behavior change is a really really important one i think you know, it comes back to this idea. Actually, the solutions are political; they're national; they're collective. These aren't about individual behaviour change, and this is uh, has been a consistent problem right from the nineteen seventies right through sort of environmental thought has been to sort of push these things onto the individual. And and actually, it isn't um, an approach that is makes things open to solution. Because individual behaviour change is not going to solve any problems, and whatever they are, whether it's energy policy or, or whether it's climate change or w- whatever it happens to be. Just, to, just la- lastly, just to, to think about this idea of unintended consequences. Yes, there are always unintended consequences, but actually, a society that believes in itself, and particularly, you know, a politics that sort of wants to take the world forwards wants to improve things and believes in progress and and you know the human potential is willing to experiment and without that we're really screwed
0: I don't know if that was a big finish or a depressing one casper but, uh, <laughs> uh, but but it was a finish um so thank you very much for that no I think, look I think there's a lot in there and even though there was uh, you know some slight disagreement and a lot of um, consensual agreement uh, across the panel and casper is uh, for suggesting that we were being too rational, which is a, a terrible slight uh, to impose on someone. Um, but I think it, it's important because there is a lot of um, slightly emotionalism and slightly rationality in the conversation outside this framework. So it was nice to have a range of opinions and there was a range of opinions um, putting forward something uh, which at least posits what some of the problems are. Some of the problems are not necessarily related to the thing itself. I mean, I always think that in terms of when, when uh, you know, the developing world idea that you know, if you develop, if, they, if you ex- expend energy, if you uh, use carbon, then sea levels will rise and people may drown in, in uh, developing world countries. A, they're already drowning because they have poverty. And even if they were to drown because of climate change, you do think I still would believe in developing those countries to allow them the facility to maybe build some dams and some barriers. I think it was a really interesting conversation and uh, I'm very, very grateful to all of you for taking part and uh, taking this evening out. I suppose, you know, we're almost in lockdown again, so you weren't doing anything else anyway. And thanks to the audience for participating. Thank you all very much indeed.
1: Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Cheers, Austin.
0: Thank you.